Good day. I'm Martin Webb, and welcome to the Climate Report, broadcasting every second and fourth Thursday on KVMR-FM at 6.30 p.m. On today's Climate Report, we're simply going to go through a lightning round of headlines. We were preempted by the live broadcast of the Strawberry Music Festival a couple of weeks ago, and this is our last Climate Report for spring 2023. Whereas oftentimes we'll spend time on perhaps one, two, or three major topics and read major articles and research, today I'm just going to give you as many headlines as I can with occasional sidebars and maybe a sentence or two from the articles just to demonstrate exactly how much action is happening all across the world, from political to technological, business solutions, individual solutions, The status quo media is oftentimes failing to deliver the fact that there really isn't any divisiveness over this climate issue. The Yale Communications Climate Study continues to show that Americans overwhelmingly support what needs to be done in order to make changes. So what we're going to do here is just overwhelm you with all of the news that is happening all around the world. And if there is something that you particularly are interested in and would like to know more about, feel free to email me at climatereport at kvmr.org. We also have a Climate Report social media page where daily posts are made with all of the interesting and encouraging news that we could possibly find. Let's start with this. The truth about local food in U.S. supermarkets. It's mostly a marketing gimmick, this according to The Guardian. They say the term doesn't mean that much anymore, And there are actually other, more important factors to consider when selecting food. Most folks are used to seeing things marketed as local, and I myself was surprised when I read this article. It turns out there really isn't any legal definition term of local. I'm going to read you three paragraphs from the beginning of this. It says, if you walk into a Whole Foods in Oakland and pick up a container of non-dairy yogurt marked local... You might be surprised to learn that though the company that makes the yogurt is headquartered nearby in San Francisco, the cashews the yogurt is made from come from Vietnam, more than 7,500 miles away. Or they also come from the Ivory Coast of Africa, about 7,300 miles in the opposite direction. That's right, the cashews making the yogurt seven to 8,000 miles away, it's labeled local at Whole Foods. This yogurt made with ingredients from the other side of the globe points to the contradictory nature of so-called local food today. Though the term holds appeal for customers, nearly two-thirds of whom perceive local food to be more environmentally friendly, experts suggest it may not always mean what you think. According to Austin, Texas-based Errol Schweitzer, who led grocery merchandising for Whole Foods, From 2009 up until 2016, he says when it comes to local, most of it is BS. Every retailer has a different definition of local. Even the retailers themselves will have different definitions depending on where they are, and the original purpose of localization has totally gotten lost. Folks that might be interested in more, I'd turn your attention to a brand new article that was just also in The Guardian, I believe, yesterday where they talk about produce, and the headline is, Is Eating Local Produce Actually Better for the Planet? Science and research is tending to show that focusing solely on local isn't the best way 
to make your environmental footprint better. In this article, a couple of sentences from it say nearly two-thirds of Americans believe that eating local food is better for the environment. But in recent years, a series of studies have shown that eating locally might not be as environmentally impactful in and of itself as advocates once hoped. In fact, research shows that the carbon footprint of transporting food is relatively small and that it's more important to focus on how your food is produced. Eating local can be a part of that, but it doesn't have to be. So, for example, in the 2000s, scientists began conducting full life cycle assessments of food supply chains, looking at how much greenhouse gases are emitted, not just when food is transported, but also when crops are planted and fertilized, animals are taken out to pasture, or kept in confinement, and food scraps end up in the garbage. What they found was that transporting food actually makes up a very small percentage of our food's total carbon footprint. In a 2018 paper, a team of researchers from the UK and Switzerland found out that only 1% to 9% single-digit percentages of our food's carbon emissions come from packaging, transportation, and retail. The vast majority of greenhouse gas emissions associated with our food, 61% of it, come during production while food is still on the farm. And this is all supported by research published in the early 2000s in the U.S., and Europe. They say what we eat and how it is produced makes more impact on our food carbon footprint than purely where it comes from in terms of distance. So the greatest source of emissions actually varies among foods. In many crops, it's the fertilizers and pesticides required to grow large quantities of food on industrial farms. So buying a local, industrial, conventionally grown piece of food may actually be worse the environment than buying an organic, regeneratively grown similar piece of food from another continent. In beef, for example, less than 1% of emissions come from transportation, while the vast majority comes from just feeding cattle and their methane-heavy burps. Fascinating info. When it comes to transportation, here's an interesting headline. A company has made major breakthroughs in solving one of the biggest issues with EVs, saying we've spent over a decade in the labs. So uh, I tend to try and avoid um, sensationalistic news that is um, you know, something that is just recently invented and might not make it even to commercialization. This is something they've actually been working on for over 10 years. This is from uh, The Cool Down newsletter. It says, if your EV could charge in less time than it takes to grab a cup of coffee, would you make the switch? One company thinks it can solve the charging challenge and reduce range anxiety, too. It's a California-based company called Sila, S-I-L-A. They're leading uh, a leading advanced battery materials company, and they announced that they've achieved a 20% increase in EV range per charge, and it can also deliver fasting, faster charging capabilities through the development of what they're calling nanocomposite silicon anode battery technology. So uh, they can take a charge from a battery from 10% to 80% in just 20 minutes, and they feel like they can get it down to just 10 minutes. It also reduces the weight of batteries 15%. Uh, it does increase the space that they take up by 20%. And it's based on uh, silicon anodes as uh, an advancement. So just know, again, people are working very hard on battery technology. Um, one headline that, uh, that I, I know from memory, I don't have in front of me, is that they're working on actually cobalt-free batteries. A lot of folks are very concerned about cobalt mining. About 70% of the, 
of Cobalt Front comes from Congo, and it's known that there are thousands of children involved in the labor there. Um, actually, the majority of cobalt isn't used for EVs. It's used for electronics. So for the concern of cobalt, um, it's actually mostly in all of our electronics more than EVs. But cobalt is being pulled out of batteries. Matter of fact, um, half of Tesla's cars produced in the first quarter of last year had zero cobalt in them. Here's a headline from the New York Times talking about the Inflation Reduction Act. This was the big bill that was passed last August that for the first time had some major developments for Americans in regards to helping uh, deal with the climate crisis. Of course, as with most political um, issues here in America, it's based on buying things. And uh, so this is filled with tax credits to encourage people to buy the appropriate things and make the correct changes. Because uh, while we're certainly not going to shop our way out of this situation, it is clear that we do need to do some shopping and replacement of many of our different appliances in order to meet the goals that science has laid out. This New York Times article says, this guide can help you save money and fight climate change. It's a, The new time climate and tax law can bring big savings for anyone looking to buy an electric car or make their home more energy efficient. So many American consumers are now eligible to save thousands of dollars when they buy an electric car, a heat pump, solar panels, or energy efficient appliances. So here's a quick bullet point list of uh, home improvements as well as um, EV help that people can get. It says if you own your home, there are plenty of opportunities to save money through the new law. You can get a home energy audit. You can install solar panels. You can make energy-saving renovations, windows, doors, uh, that type of thing, uh, insulation. You can buy efficient appliances. You can install a heat pump. This turns out to be a much more efficient way to heat and cool a home. It's essentially like a window unit air conditioner. Most people are familiar with old school window unit air conditioners. They create cold air inside on one side of the unit and on the other side, if you put your hand uh, on the exhaust of an AC window unit, it's hot air. Well, a heat pump essentially is able to work in reverse. So yes, it can cool a room during the summer, but they can also do the reverse and heat a room during the winter in efficient ways. Um, you'll also hear people refer to them as uh, mini splits in some cases. So there's help for mini splits and heat pumps. You can also get a rebate for renovations that reduce your energy use. Again, insulation, things that actually make you use less power. And there are discounts for energy efficient upgrades for lower income households. And uh, they also talk about electric vehicles, of course. For the first time ever, there are now tax credits for used EVs in addition to new EVs. There are also tax credits and incentives in this new law to install an electric vehicle charger at home if you live in a rural or low-income area. So hello, Nevada County, and those listening tight into uh, our radio station. There are incentives for installing an EV charger at home if you live in a rural or low-income area. And uh, one of the things that I'm going to talk on next is uh, how renters, how can renters take advantage of this? And I mentioned the help for installing an EV charger in a rural area because I myself am a renter. And last year, I was rear-ended, needed to buy a new vehicle, and I would have loved to look at purchasing an EV. However, uh, I'm a renter. And so paying the cost for installing a charger on someone else's home just wasn't something that I was able to do. So if you're a landlord and you would like to be able to make your home more attractive or incentivize EV adoption for those of us that aren't property owners, 
there is help for installing EV chargers at your rental home if you are in a qualifying rural area. So about renters then, this is an article from Vox, a renter's guide to the Inflation Reduction Act. It's time to approach your landlord or consider a window unit heat pump. A little bit from this article, it says, in theory, the Inflation Reduction Act could do a lot for renters. People who rent their homes often deal with older buildings, leaky piping, and poor ventilation. This act's attempt to get fossil fuels out of the home would benefit them significantly, but renters could be the last to see the benefits. The new law passed last August authorizes almost $400 billion, it's almost half a trillion, in investments for utilities, transmission lines, greener manufacturing, and it includes $43 billion in tax breaks and rebates that bring down the cost of products like solar panels, electric appliances, and electric vehicles. Now, those tax credits and rebates will be the most effective, will, will be the most immediate effect the law has for most people, but these incentives go much further for homeowners than renters. Renters have less control over their energy consumption and over the permanent fixtures of their home, and so they face a unique set of problems that the IRA law wasn't built to tackle. And renters are a huge category, but still a minority. Roughly 110 million people in the U.S. live in a rental house, and rental homes and apartments make up more than a third of our nation's housing. But the new law doesn't fully ignore the rental economy. Parts of the law can help multifamily residences and landlords make upgrades to energy efficiency, switch to more modern appliances, and create more comfortable homes, which means both the renter and the landlord have options. That's a story in Vox. All right, here's one for those that are are readers and are interested in looking for new books on climate change. This from New Society Publishers. It's a new book called Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth, written by Margaret Klein Salomon with Molly Gage. It's got a foreword by Adam McKay, who is the writer and director of the uh, climate action movie Don't Look Up. And uh, Facing the Climate Emergency, they say, addresses the fears of everyone who is alarmed about the climate crisis and yet feels powerless to stop it. Drawing on psychology, it shows readers how to deal with their feelings of fear, grief, and powerlessness to transform themselves into climate warriors and motivate collective change. Margaret Klein Salomon, PhD, is a clinical psychologist turned climate warrior whose work helps people to face the deeply frightening, painful truths of the climate emergency and transform their despair into collective action. She's the founder and principal of Climate Awakening, which seeks to transform the climate movement by holding thousands of emotional small group conversations about the climate emergency. She's also currently the executive director of the Climate Emergency Fund. So that's a new book. Again, it's called Facing the Climate Emergency, How to Transform Yourself with Climate Truth. Uh, They also were uh, talking about a podcast um, with Margaret Klein Solomon, What Could Possibly Go Right? Conversations with Cultural Scouts. Um, She um, addresses questions such as the need for wide-scale consciousness shifts to prioritize climate mobilization, that operating in emergency mode is incredibly powerful once you get there, as seen in World War II, and that the psychological defenses being used during this climate emergency, such as compartmentalization, willful ignorance, and intellectualization, can be addressed. So um, that's What Could Possibly Go Right is the name of that podcast um, with Margaret Klein Solomon, who just published this new book, Facing the Climate Emergency. 
Okay, so here's a quick headline for those of you who uh, have EVs or are new to owning EVs. There are all sorts of different interesting apps out there that can help you navigate and make plans as you do your travel and transportation with an electric vehicle. And one of them is called PlugShare. So PlugShare is an app that allows EV drivers to see just where all of the different charging stations are, what kinds they are, what types they are, reviews, notes, uh, are they working, are they not working. Um, So uh, PlugShare, if that's something that you aren't aware of and you're an EV driver, um, there you go. I'm going to read a few headlines here then from the Los Angeles Times. They have a... um, a regular newsletter called Boiling Point related to the climate um, situation. And so uh, here are a few things to cover. One of them, of course, is that Americans are worried about climate change and they want political leaders to do something about it. Um, At the same time, leaders aren't doing much. uh, People aren't doing much as well, they're talking about. And so it's the sort of frozen state. Um, But they do go through lots of interesting headlines, such as Um, Powering a sustainable future, hungry goats and covered conductors sound like unlikely bedfellows, but when it comes to preventing wildfires and keeping communities safe, low- and high-tech wildfire mitigation efforts are a winning combination. Together, goats and covering electrical conductors reduce the probability of wildfires linked to electrical equipment by 75 to 80 percent. That's some of the work um, one Edison International company has done as part of their blueprint for solving wildfires. Um, Some of the other changes out there, as temperatures rise, Los Angeles is studying what it would take to equip every rental unit in the city with air conditioning. There's no more deadly type of extreme weather event than extreme heat, with thousands of deaths over the last decade, even in relatively mild California. Making sure people have air conditioning could limit the harm, and landlords are pushing back against a proposal to require AC units. Another headline, uh, the United States Interior Secretary, Deb Holland, uh, first time that we had an indigenous person in charge of the U.S. interior. She's extended a ban on new federal oil and gas leasing within 10 miles of New Mexico's Chaco Canyon National Historical Park for the next 10 years. So there's a beautiful canyon park in New Mexico, and she has extended a ban in place that there can be no federal oil or gas leasing within 10 miles of this park, and uh, that's for at least the next 20 years. The ban is designed to safeguard the ruins of ancient indigenous civilizations from fossil fuel extraction. Um, other issues happening here in the state is um, the uh, there are several bills in California legislature that would make it easier for the state to cut back on water diversions from rivers during drought. Um, the Supreme Court is expected to rule on a consequential Colorado, Colorado River case dealing with the Navajo Nation. Um, in other news headlines here in California, Governor Gavin Newsom wants the state to buy offshore wind and geothermal power to supply California residents to make sure lights stay on as fossil fuels are phased out. So again, we focused a lot on solar here in California, and this is talking about offshore wind and geothermal. Utility companies have thus far largely declined to buy these relatively high-cost renewable resources. Offshore wind and geothermal tends to be on the more expensive side of renewables, but experts say they may be required to complement solar and onshore wind. Another headline, 
uh, in here for California. Beefing up California's power grid in order to handle millions of electric cars could cost $50 billion over the next decades. That's $5 billion a year required in order to continue to upgrade the California power grid. I want to remind listeners in the past, uh, we talked about, I believe it was last year or so, there was a big Union of Concerned Scientists study that showed California, as well as 23 other states, could become 100% renewable energy powered and be able to handle the 60% increase in expected power use from electrifying everything from transportation to homes. And we could do that by the year 2045. 100% renewable energy, handle the load, and they say that the prices would actually be cheaper than if we didn't make it 100% renewable. Other headlines uh, from U.S. government, the U.S. Uh, former U.S. State Department and nuclear regulatory officials say that Bill Gates and the Biden administration should not use bomb-grade uranium for a small nuclear reactor test in Idaho, because doing so would encourage other countries to do the same. Other news from around the West related to climate change um, and animal encounters, because we know that animals and plants um, are shifting where they're living, even though humans might necessarily not be. Although if you're a regular listener to the Climate Report, you know that studies of America population shifts show that we unfortunately are moving in the wrong direction, um, that Americans are moving towards the southwest, the southeast, and the coast, all of the areas that are being mostly battered by climate change as opposed to um, leaving those areas. But the animals are moving around quite a bit, and a lot more great white sharks are hanging out off the California coast for longer than once thought, and the climate crisis may help explain it. You've also perhaps heard a lot of headlines lately about uh, carbon offsets and carbon credits. Um, There's been a lot of discovery that in some cases, as people had thought, um, they aren't amounting to much. Matter of fact, um, a founder of one of the, the larger carbon offset companies just resigned. And uh, Delta Airlines has been sued by a Nickelodeon writer who lives in Glendale down in L.A. who says that their companies, uh, Delta Airlines carbon offsets, are, quote, a crock of bull. Delta has billed itself as the first carbon neutral airline, but critics say carbon offset initiatives such as Delta's, in which big companies pay to supposedly protect forests that were going to be cut down, don't actually do much um, they've discovered that in some cases the forests were never planned to be cut down anyway. So let's see, what else? One more thing here. Uh, there's research. <laughs> this is fascinating. This is research on what it might look like um, for a mass extinction event. Associate Research Specialist Alex Baer and Jarmila Pitterman, Professor of Plant Biology, um, are at UC Santa Cruz where they simulated the effects of a mass extinction event they uh, wrote about the, the uh, story in the L.A. Times about scientists trying to recreate the conditions immediately after a giant asteroid hit Earth 66 million years ago to better understand why certain plants were able to survive and apply the knowledge to today's challenges. Okay, here are some uh, interesting headlines. I'm just going to give you the headline and the news media outlet so that listeners have a sense that even though – in my experience, a lot of the status quo media out there really isn't spending much time talking about the climate issue. When actually they are indirectly, if they're talking about air quality on the East Coast, they're talking about the climate problem. If they're talking about geopolitics and invasions in oil-rich countries, that's climate-related. If they're talking about flooding or weather events, they're oftentimes talking about the climate even though they don't admit it. But 
take heed that most of the major media is still doing a lot of reporting on this subject. So, for example, this headline, Decarbonizing the Transportation Sector Will Be a Herculean Task. That's in Forbes. They're talking about how hard it's going to be to decarbonize the transportation sector. Then here's a headline. See if you can guess what uh, publication it was in. It says, Five Farming Technologies Take New Approaches to Climate Change. Five farming technologies are taking new approaches to climate change. Where would you expect to see that headline? The Wall Street Journal, that was their headline. Okay, let's see. Let me scooch through here because we're running out of time. Um, Here are some more headlines. Um, Students and faculty at Ohio State respond to a bill that would restrict college discussions of climate policies. If you haven't been following that, Ohio has been enacting some laws um, that would make it, or trying to pass laws that would make it so that um, climate would be considered a controversial topic, um, reducing how it could be discussed. Uh, Other headlines, a new hurricane season begins with forecasts for less activity, but more uncertainty. Um, Know that some of the the climate deniers are talking about how we don't have more hurricanes. Matter of fact, um, the uh, presidential candidate, Ron DeSantis, um, when he was asked about uh, hurricanes hitting Florida, he said, we don't have, we don't actually have more hurricanes than we have in the past. And that is absolutely true. But what was not discussed is the fact that they are more damaging, though, now when they do come with sea level rise and flooding and the winds that, yes, there isn't yet more hurricanes hitting Florida, but they are absolutely more intense. And science says that's because of the climate crisis. This was another interesting headline. James Hansen, he is the person that back in 1988 testified in front of Congress and first raised the alarm bells about climate change and CO2 and carbon emissions. He's warning of a short-term climate shock that could bring two degrees of warming by mid-century. And I want to remind listeners, when we talk about mid-century in 2050, it sounds so far off, but we're already halfway there almost from the middle of the century. We're a quarter of the way through the century, so we're halfway to 2050 already. We're going to be quickly racing down the second half towards 2050. And what James Hansen is talking about is interesting and there are some disputes about the accuracy of it, is he's saying that as we reduce carbon emissions, we're reducing the particulates in the sky that actually help create some uh, sort of a slight blanket, and that as we pull out the carbon emissions and particulates from our atmosphere, there will be a momentary burst of more solar radiation coming through and hitting the planet, which might make a microburst for a brief period of heating going up before it then turns back around. Fascinating information. Uh, Other headlines, uh, Arizona announces that the Phoenix area can't grow further on groundwater. Um, We're finally figuring out there are some limits to our growth and nature in the face of climate change. Here's another headline. New research shows that global climate benefits of protecting nature, but that's not a silver bullet. It requires human change as well as letting nature do its work. Uh, Another headline, Joe Rogan, if you're familiar with him, the uh, multi-million dollar podcaster, he is fueling climate misinformation on TikTok, according to Watchdogs. And lastly, let's end with something from the United Nations. They say, start with these 10 actions. Everyone can help limit climate change from the way we travel to the electricity we use, the food we eat, and the things we buy. We can make a difference 
Remember, over the next 20 years, adult Americans will have five days when they can vote for president, but they'll have 7,300 days where they'll be shopping, buying, and making decisions. The United Nations offers these 10 actions. Number one, save energy at home. Much of our electricity and heat are powered by coal, oil, and gas. Not here in PG&E territory, however. We're 91% carbon emissions free. Use less energy by lowering your heating and cooling, switching to LED light bulbs and energy-efficient appliances, washing your laundry with cold water, hanging things to dry instead of using a dryer. Number two, walk, bike, or take public transportation. The world's roadways are clogged with vehicles. Number three, eat more vegetables. Makes a huge difference. Number four, consider your travel. Airplanes burn large amounts of fossil fuels, producing significant greenhouse gas emissions. Their next one, throw away less food, then reduce, reuse, repair, and recycle. Consider changing your home source of energy. If you aren't able to buy solar panels, most utility companies offer a clean energy choice. Switch to an electric vehicle. Make your money count by focusing on everything you spend your money on, which affects the planet. And lastly, they say to speak up. Well, that's all for today's Climate Report. It's our lightning round of headlines Broadcasting and podcasting here on KVMR-FM and at KVMR.org every second and fourth Thursday at 6.30 p.m. I'm Martin Webb. As always, today's show will be archived, and you can send me questions or comments or get links to climate report at KVMR.org.